a life group meeting, whether it's a Wednesday CIA night or a meeting of the Bethel Youth Group, whether it's a Bible study, a WMU, a college and career night, a grow outreach evening, or even a business meeting, there's one thing in common in all of those gatherings of believers. But still, one of the most powerful, but I fear most underused weapons in our arsenal is prayer. I'm concerned that sometimes it only appears that we are people of prayer. So today we're going to get kind of get real. Can we get real today? As we get real with ourselves this morning, I want to ask ourselves this question. And this question is this. Are we really people of prayer? You know, when a church is searching for a new pastor, the most common trait that they look for is they want a pastor that prays. And if you ask any pastor what a pastor really wants from his church, is he wants that church to be a church that prays. So today we come to the subject of prayer. And we all agree that it's critical to our success. We agree that it's critical to the success of our own lives. We agree that it's critical to the success of this church. But more often than not, if we're honest with ourselves, prayer is only an afterthought. So today, I want us to be encouraged. I want us to be encouraged to make prayer a priority. To make prayer a priority, not only at these church functions. We're going to do that, amen? We're going to pray, amen? But I want to encourage you to make prayer a priority also in your individual lives. In your marital lives lives, in your family lives, in your work lives. In everything you do, I want prayer to be a priority for you. As true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, prayer must be an integral part of our lives. If it's not, you will fail. If it's not, you will get tripped up, I promise you. Our very lives and even maintaining our relationship with God absolutely hinges on this subject of prayer. But I'm afraid it just appears like we're people of prayer. So today, the Bible gives us one fantastic example of a man who lived a life of prayer. 
And this man's name was Daniel. And I'm going to share with you on page 780, and the Bible's in front of you, I'm going to share with you a large portion of chapter 2 in Daniel. And I want you to see what happened in Daniel's life as a result of prayer. In Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, listen closely. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave command to call all the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. And the king said to all these people, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream." Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and they said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be cut to pieces and your houses shall be made into an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream. They answered again and they said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. And if you do not make known to me the dream... There is only one in three You will have agreed this, you're speaking lying and corrupt words before me. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered and said to the king, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, Lord, ruler, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that requests and there is no other one who can tell it the king except the gods who dwelling is not with the flesh for this reason the king was angry and very furious and he gave command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon and so the decree went out they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well then with the counsel and wisdom Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and he asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king its interpretation. Then Daniel went into his house and he made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, And Azariah, his companions, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they might seek mercies from the God of the heavens concerning this secret. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And so Daniel blessed the God of heaven, answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And the seasons, he removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and now you have made known to me what I've asked of you. For you have made known to me the king's demand. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He, he went and said to him thus, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king its interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and thus said to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dream, and the visions of your head upon your bed, which were these. And then in verse 29 through verse 45, Daniel begins to unfold the nature of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his interpretation of that dream. And I'm going to let you take that home and you can read that if you want to. But what I want, really want to point out to you this morning is the end of verse 45. When Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Then look what happened, friend. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel. The great king of Babylon fell on his face prostrate before this captive slave of Judah. And he commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you reveal this secret to me. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Right off the bat, the first thing that we see is that Daniel had a need to pray. Something was up in Daniel's life, and he had reason to pray. Chapter 1 opens. And the great king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is having, having some troublesome dreams. The dreams are so bad. They're, they're like nightmares. They're so bad that he's losing sleep over these nightmares. And so Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what the dream means and sends for his wise men so that they might interpret the dream for him. One problem. Nebuchadnezzar won't say what the dream is. 
Maybe he doesn't remember the dream. Or maybe he's testing his wise men. But the wise men want to hear the dream first. Then they'll give him their interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar is not going to have any of that business. Instead, he threatens them to come up with a whole enchilada. And if they don't, it's curtains for them. They're dead men. Their response is, nobody can do that great king. It's impossible. So Nebuchadnezzar sentenced every wise man in Babylon to death. And although Daniel was not present in that meeting, he was included as one of the wise men. And in verse 13, we read, so Daniel, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So my question to you is, what would you do? What would you do if your life was threatened by something that you knew you couldn't do? What did Daniel do? Daniel sought help. You'd think that he would immediately hit his knees. That he began to pray fervently. But that's not what happened here. Did you catch it there in verse 17? Then Daniel went to his house. And he made known the decision to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, to do what? Listen carefully. That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. What did Daniel do? Daniel called, called a prayer meeting. He said, let's get together. Let's pray together. And I wondered, why did he do that? Why did he call this prayer meeting? Did he know perhaps that when two or more are gathered in the name of the Lord, their God might be in the midst of them? Maybe. But what they really knew is that all four of them need to pray together to seek the mercies of God. They knew, friend, that if you don't seek the mercies of God, you're going to be at the mercy of men. And so they sought the mercy of God. And by their successful example, here's something they teach us. By example, they teach us that God's people should pray together. Not only when we're grouped together, but when we're separated, we should still be a people of prayer. We should be praying as God's people praying together. And so today, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we're going to use that as a foundation and discover Three reasons why God's people should pray together. Number one, the first reason that we should pray together is we are all under attack. Breaking news, amen? We are all under attack. You see, we are in a knockdown, drag out, fight to the finish. Paul wrote to the believers at the church in Ephesus. He said, listen, my brothers, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Friend, he realized that we were in a fight. Don't you ever fail to realize, friend, that you are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. Satan has declared war on you. 
He wants to bring you down. He is an unseen enemy. He's got many schemes. He's got many strategies. He's got many tricks up his sleeve. And he's going to use everything at his disposal to trip you up, to knock you down, and to try to destroy you. Do you think he wants a successful marriage? No, ma'am. No, sir. He's going to do everything in his power to destroy your marriage. Does he want you walking as a child of God, obedient to the word of God? No way. He wants you down. He doesn't want you walking in obedience to the word of God. But we have this divine weapon. We have this divine weapon and this weapon defeats him. And that weapon is prayer. It's prayer. As Paul finished describing the spiritual armor of the believer, listen to how he finished. Praying always. That's living a life of prayer. That's praying as a praying church. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. E.M. Bounds, a pastor who has written a great many books on prayer, said this. He said that prayer is our most fearsome weapon. It's the greatest weapon you got in this spiritual war. It's the strongest weapon you have against this arch enemy called Satan. It's the most fearsome weapon, but listen, it's one in which we are least skilled and most opposed to using. It's like having an AR-15 in your hand and somebody comes busting into your house to burglarize your home, but you don't want to shoot them. Amen? You've got this fearsome weapon, but they don't, don't want to use it. You see, the devil's not frightened of you. He's not frightened of your human efforts. He's not frightened of your human credentials. In fact, you'll get along just fine with the devil if you depend on yourself. You'll get along just fine with the devil if you depend on your accomplishments for everybody to see. You can do that if you want to. But what the devil doesn't want you to do is pray. What Satan does not want you to do is depend on God. What Satan does not want you to do is seek the mercy of God like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did. You see, prayer moves the hand of God. But prayer also restricts the works of Satan. Why would you not want to use this wonderful weapon? What we need is we need the boldness to pray. We need the want to, to pray. Listen to the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 4. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. See, those believers back in Acts 4, they knew they were fighting a spiritual war. They knew they were in a battle against the devil. They knew it. Did they pray that the war would go away? No, sir. They didn't pray that. Instead, they prayed that they would have courage. Courage to continue to speak the truth with boldness. But why did they pray that way? Why would they pray in such a way? Well, it's all because of the second reason. 
that we should be praying together. And that is, we should all want to see the kingdom of God advance. We should all want to see the kingdom of God advance. You know, the purpose of prayer is not to get what we want. It's not to get what we want. The purpose of prayer is not to make our lives easier. I started feeling better in my back when I started realizing all it was was a thorn in the flesh and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing anyway. The purpose of prayer is not to make my life easier. The purpose of prayer is not to make my life better. The purpose of prayer, friend, is not about us at all. We pray, why? Because we are focused on kingdom business. We pray that God will conduct His kingdom business and that we might just be a, a tool in His hand, an instrument that He uses to bring about His godly and kingdom purposes. We pray because we're focused on His work, not my work. Did you ever notice in Matthew chapter 6, in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus spoke, He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven? That's what, what does that mean? That means that we're to pray not for the advancement of my kingdom. We're to pray for the advancement of God's kingdom. What are we to do? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We should be praying for what God wants, not for what I want in the flesh. What does God want? And so we pray for God to act on his own behalf. We pray that God would act according to his perfect will. I don't know what God is up to in every area. You know what? And I want him to act according to his will. Why? Because I want my concerns to be his concerns. I want to be focused on kingdom business. And I'm not going to be so focused on my own life being easier, my own life being less painful. I'm going to focus on the kingdom of God and what he wants to do in me and through me. But sadly, in churches today, I think you would agree, we get so distracted. We get so distracted by things that have absolutely no eternal value. We even pray for things. Lord, I really want this. Would you give it to me? I really want it. Lord, it would really please me if you did this. Lord, it would really make my life easier if you did this. Lord, it would make my life have such fewer struggles if you would only do this. That's how we pray. Well, who are we to think that God might not use those struggles for his glory? Matter of fact, most oftentimes he does. But what's the primary goal of the Christian? Our primary goal is to make disciples. In fact, that's the only reason you're still here. Because once you came to Jesus Christ and you become a daughter or a son of God, the work for you personally has been done. If He didn't have something for you to do here, where would you be? You'd be in heaven with the Father. Instead, He says, no, I want to use you for some kingdom business. I want to use you to draw others into the fold. I want more human beings that I love so dearly to be in heaven with you.
Jesus' final command in the book of Matthew says it all. He said to instructed his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. That's huge. That's what we do in vacation Bible school. Year after year after year, we teach them. And sometimes I fear that that's where we fall to the worst, in teaching people. But he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. See, I believe, guys, that when we truly want what God wants, when we truly want what God desires, and that is the lives of other people, the disciple, God will hear that prayer. He will hear that prayer, friend, and he will give us more people to disciple. That's the prayer that God loves to answer. Oh, they want more people to disciple? They want to raise up more Christians? Well, man, I'll just pour that part to them, amen. But the problem is, and I believe you would agree, most people, many people in the church don't really care about the souls of others. I told you we were going to get real this morning, didn't I? I'm so consumed with me and mine, I don't care about others. And so I don't pray for them. I pray for me and mine. I, I, I pray for y'all. But what about them? Y'all are already going to heaven. What about them? Is it that I really don't have any concern for the souls of other people? So this thing about prayer is very important. And it's important that we pray and that we pray together, even though we may be apart, that we pray together. And Daniel's example, man, it rings true to us this morning. Did you see what Daniel did? He sought mercy, yes, for himself. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to die at the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. So he prayed for himself that he might have mercy from God. But he also prayed for mercy for his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't want his companions to die. But he also prayed for all those other wise men, lost magicians, lost soothsayers, lost astrologers, lost magicians, lost as they can possibly be. And Daniel's seeking mercy for them. In the same way, we should be seeking mercy for those people that don't know God. And I fear we're not doing it. Why do I fear we're not doing it? Because your pastor's not doing it. And how can I expect you to do it if I'm not doing it? And so I've resolved, friend. To live a life of prayer. A life of prayer for other people. Because I want to see the kingdom of God advance. I pray you do too. And when we all do this, we begin fulfilling that, that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there is a third reason that we should be praying together.
And that is this. We want all people to know our affection. We are called to be people of passion. Called to be people of passion. Passion for what, Bill? Well, the first kind of passion we ought to have, obviously, is a passion for God. Man, we ought to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that, that love, that passion should manifest itself in actions. It should manifest itself in the way we live, in the way we pray. We're called to be people of passion. We should have a, a passion for the presence of God. And I pray that when you come into this sanctuary to worship with your brothers and sisters, I pray that you come seeking an audience of one. That you don't care what your neighbor thinks. You don't care what your pastor thinks. You don't care what your Sunday school teacher thinks. You care what your God thinks about you being here today. And I pray in Jesus' name that you come here seeking His presence. By coming to Him in prayer, what happens is you are demonstrating your love for Him. You're declaring with your voice and with your posture and with your life your affection for God, your passion for God. But there's a second kind of passion that we should have, and that is a passion for one another. When we come together in prayer, you know what we're doing? We're, we're bearing up one another's burdens. You know, it touched me when, when, when Miss Joan mentioned my back pain and, and y'all prayed for me last week. But I'll have you know that I'm sitting on my, the edge of my tub about three or four days before that and my wife came and laid her hands on my back and prayed for me. Why? Because she's wanting to bear up my burden. She's wanting to hold me up. Y'all wanted to hold me up to strengthen me. See, God gives us this gift of prayer to make us sensitive to the hurts of other people. That's why we always talk about our prayer list. And I know that it gets long. And I know three quarters of those people you don't know. But that is not ink on paper. Those are human lives. People that are afflicted. People that are broken hearted. People that are challenged. People whose marriages are in shambles. People that are struggling. And they need your prayer. They need our prayer. They need us to be living a life of prayer. They need for us to be a church of prayer. And when we do that, we begin drawing closer to one another. We all have the same goal in mind. We are, we're knit closer as a, a body of Christ. And when we love God and when we love one another in prayer, friend, you just watch. You just watch how God is going to bless us and how God is going to pour out His favor on us. I'm just so naive as to think that God wants more from me. God wants more for me. I believe God wants more from us as His people. He wants us to become a praying church. And friend, we ain't never going to grow. We'll never grow any more than what we are unless we become a praying church. Living a life of prayer. I believe, friend, that our best days are ahead of us. But I don't think there's any way we're going to get there doing it the way we've been doing it. Because I've been honest with myself in the mirror this week. 
I pointed the finger at that guy in the mirror. And I said, you're going to be preaching on prayer Sunday. What about you? And it's been convicting, friend. It's been hurtful. Because I believe God expects more from me. I believe God expects more from all of us. So we're going to have to learn. Learn to live a lifestyle, a life of prayer. Dr. A.C. Dixon said, when we rely on organization, you're going to get exactly what organization will give you. When you rely on education, you're going to, rely, or you're going to get exactly what education will get you. If you rely on the eloquence of your preacher, you're going to get exactly what eloquence will get you. But if you rely on prayer, if you rely on prayer, you're going to get what God will get you. So it's time for us to get together and pray. I'm not talking about us having prayer meetings and gatherings. We can do that anytime, and I would love it. But I'm challenging you to live a lifestyle of prayer. To be on your knees or whatever spiritual posture you need to get into to pray. To get to that quiet place, to get in that prayer closet, to, to go hit the open road, to walk, whatever you got to do, to get to your quiet place where God is your only focus. It's time for us to get together and pray. It's time for this church to start living a lifestyle of prayer. And listen, you listen, say amen. If you're too busy to pray, you are too busy. Amen? If you're too busy to pray, you are far, far too busy. And it's time to adjust your priorities and adjust your schedule. So let's follow the example of Daniel. Let's follow the example of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Let's get together and pray. Let's get together. Because you know what? God calls us to do that. He calls us to get together and pray. Why? Bill, we're under assault. Under assault from the most powerful enemy we all got. But we've got the most powerful weapon against him if we'd only use it. So load up. Amen? Don't go around with an empty magazine in your gun. Load up and fire back. How many of you don't feel like Satan's coming against you in any shape, form, or fashion? It's exactly what I thought. We're all being attacked by the enemy. Every one of us. Why don't we start firing back? Let's unload on him, man. A full 30-round magazine. He's getting it from now on, amen? Why not? Let's get together and pray. Let's get together and pray. Why? God calls us to. He calls us to get together and pray because the kingdom has work to do. He wants us to be encouraged to be people of prayer. He wants us to be encouraged to be part of advancing the kingdom of heaven. He's got disciples that he wants us to make. We're the chosen instruments of the day. Let's get together and pray about it. God also calls us to get together and pray because when we do, we share our affection. We share our passion for God and our passion for one another. I need your 
prayers. And you may not realize it, but you need my prayers. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for a lost community. How many people do you work with who are lost? They need your prayers. But they don't need, just need your prayers. They need my prayers and Janet's prayers and Hal's prayers. They need all of our prayers. They, we need to be praying, living a lifestyle of prayer. So let's do, let's, let's live a life of prayer. Jesus said, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done, Father. On earth like it is in heaven right now where they're all saved. Does God want everybody to be saved? Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God wants it here like it is up there. Saved. Gloriously saved. So friend, if we want God's will to be done here, God's kingdom here, the first thing you need to do, the first part of God's will is you got to recognize you got to come to Him. You got to come to God, placing all your faith and trust in the only instrument, the only avenue, if you will, by which you must, must be saved. And that is the Son, Son, Jesus Christ. So you need to ask yourself that question Have I done it? Have I placed all my faith for my eternal salvation in the only Son of God, Jesus Christ? And then, friend, if you have done that, and you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God, born again, following in His ways, being obedient, the next thing you need to do is ask God to use you as a vessel. Not just any old vessel. He wants you to, he wants you to ask Him to make you clean. A clean vessel. But not just a clean vessel. There can't be nothing else in there either. It's got to be an empty vessel. Not just a clean vessel. You've got to empty, empty that vessel of self, see? So not just a clean vessel, but an empty vessel of self. But it also has to be an available vessel. You can take this home and say, Bill thinks I'm living a lifestyle of prayer. He's out of his, out of his mind. That means you're not an available vessel. But if you just commit and resolve today that you're going to follow Daniel's example of living a lifestyle of prayer, then I'm telling you, not only is your life going to be incredibly more profitable for the kingdom of God, but you're going to make this church what God wants it to be. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you. We adore you. We exalt you. We're only here because of you. We have come to seek an audience of one. We have come to be in your presence. And I thank you, Lord, that yes, we can do that anywhere we want, but we can only do it on Sunday mornings with one another. And Lord, I thank you for